big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. The dollar a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Ferro and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Ferro. It has just gone 5pm at the close today. The FTSE 100 a little bit lighter. We shaved six tenths of 1% off the benchmark in London. In the United States, just a little move lower, down around about a tenth of 1% on the S&P 500. Sterling once again putting a day of gains together, but it's been a pretty volatile session. Cable getting up to as high as 128.58. Your session low, 126.58. Guy Johnson, we have been all over the place. We have, as have the headlines, and I think that partly is the problem. We still don't know exactly where we stand. Boris Johnson briefing Tory MPs, uh, the headlines dropping over the last few minutes, indicating uh, maybe that we're not going to get a deal. Uh, but there is an expectation that, that things are still plodding along and as a result of which anything is still possible. Uh, Michel Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator, is set to brief, we now think, um, Eurozone uh, diplomats at around 7pm. So he brief, briefs the diplomats, they then go away and tell their respective countries. Um, that's kind of the last chance really to get a, to, to, to get something across the line that is possible to vote upon at the EU summit, which starts tomorrow. So, yeah, I think it's I, I still think it's possible. I think it feels a little less possible than it did maybe kind of at, at noon today. But who knows? It's Brexit. Like it does seem to be going right down to the wire. Let's get some headlines, John. Here's Charlie Pellet. Hi, thank you very much, Guy Johnson. President Trump is dismissing concerns that the American withdrawal from Syria has left American-allied Kurds abandoned against the Turkish military and that Russia has moved into the region to fill the void. Trump said, quote, Syria may have some help with Russia, and that's fine. Trump said it's a lot of sand. He also said the Kurds, who fought alongside American troops against Islamic State and are now under attack from the Turkish military, are, quote, no angels. He added that the Kurds are well protected and know how to fight. A new study says the financial industry is prepared for Brexit regardless of the state of political talks with hundreds of banks and money managers primed to move thousands of employees to their European Union bases to weather the fallout. New Financial, a London group that analyzes the sector, said in a report that it has identified 332 firms that have relocated part of their business, shifted staff, or set up new entities in in the EU, uh, EU, Dublin, by the way, winning the most business ahead of Luxembourg and Paris. Earnings front and center in the United States, Bank of America posting the biggest jump in investment banking fees on Wall Street, helping profit overcome headwinds from lower interest rates, shares up for a six-day advancing by 2.2%. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you now in New York. Charlie Pellet, great to catch up with you as always. Let's fix on, fix in and have a look at the uh, FX market, shall we? Sterling, 128.53, and something I've been grappling with over the last couple of days. Are we pricing in a deal or pricing out no deal? And, and there's a difference. 130 is the kind of territory we've got used to on cable when no deal has been priced out. Just an extension of the status quo, an extension of no man's land. 130 
is that kind of level. 120 is the kind of level we associate with hard Brexit risk. And as we remove some of that hard Brexit risk and price in no man's land once again, 130 is in sight. And, Guy, I just wonder to what degree we are thinking about a deal being secured and how much upside is left on cable with that in mind. We have had a rip-roaring rally from the lows of early September of almost 8% to the highs in today's session. If you're pricing in an extension, I don't think you can price out a no deal. So I think I, most people I talk to believe that if you get an extension, it is probably followed by a no deal. Um, so I'm not sure that those two are mutually exclusive. I, I understand what you're trying to get at. I, you're trying to price out the fact that we're not going to get a no deal now. Uh, um, but but I think any extension still has the possibility of no deal attached to it at the end of it. In fact, you can argue that an extension may make a no deal more likely in as much as we are likely to have a general election in the meantime and Boris Johnson is polling reasonably strongly at the moment and therefore may get a more workable majority that doesn't need the DUP. I don't know. But but I'm not sure I'm not sure you can say we are we are sort of pricing out a no deal and pricing uh, rather than pricing a deal. I, I, I'm just not sure that the mechanics quite work that way. I think it's either I think it's either deal or no deal at this point in time. And I think an extension is just think the it's delaying of those. Uh, yeah, I think it's still a delay. Or, uh, a delay just kind of pushes that three months down the road. The, the risks have got to be... And I, and, and I think you have to recalibrate... Once you get that extension, I think you have to recalibrate the risks around both of those two options. At the moment, the possibility of a deal appears more likely than a no deal you get an extension i think you have to start again and say does the mathematics change significantly and it probably does because of the possibility that in the meantime you will have a general election does that make sense yeah no it makes perfect sense i'm just thinking about the kind of levels we've been at and what they correspond to yeah and what's gone by early this year 130 was something we settled in at as prime minister may sort of ran us through and muddled along trying to get something done and ultimately not achieving anything. And 130 was that kind of level. I just feel like 130 is this more neutral level in, in no man's land. I've been told, you get me through 130, and I'm in on sterling. But until then, I'm not. I, I've heard a number of FX people talk about that. You, you have to get through that 130 line to, to get people convinced that we are breaking out of a range and it is worth engaging in. How heavy is the short position at the moment, Guy? The, the short position is still there. I think we've definitely covered some of the short position. I can't, I can't give you accurate numbers on that. I don't think anybody has the kind of flow data they need to be able to calculate that. But I, but I think, I think as a rough guesstimate, I think you've probably halved the short position, maybe even more. I don't think it's disappeared. We're not back to neutral. I think it would be interesting to know where neutral is, and maybe neutral is around that kind of 130 level. You get back to neutral positioning, maybe you're about there. Um, but I think you need to get a concerted push beyond that to convince people that 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 actually there this rally has proper legs that we're going to break out of the range that we've been occupying for really quite some time. Um, and it, I just it doesn't feel like that. It still feels it still feels like we've taken some of the risk back, but not all of it, John. That like the yeah. next the next four or five hours, I think, will probably decide it. Summit starts tomorrow. What's the big hang-up at the moment? Is it the same old hold-up? I thought we'd made some progress. What's outstanding? What's the big issue at the moment? Well, the big issue is convincing the DUP. So there's two issues. There's convincing the DUP and there's convincing parliamentarians. Um, the, the two are not 
mutually exclusive. The DUP are clearly worried about being sort of isolated from the rest of the UK, which is anathema to them. Um, there was a headline earlier on which appeared to come from the EU side that the DUP was softening its line. That certainly boosted Sterling. The DUP pushed back on that pretty hard. Maybe this is just a negotiating tactic with the DUP, between the DUP and London on how much money ultimately the, the Northern Ireland gets as compensation for what is going to be decided. Boris Johnson is keenly aware that what he has offered the EU is being seen as a concession. And that means that's something that the DUP can push back at pretty hard. Um, so I think that's that's issue number one. And then you've got, can you get this through Does through Parliament on Saturday? Does he have the numbers? Like, Theresa May produced some deals. None of them got through. Um, and that still remains a risk. You've got these kind of hardcore ERG members. called They call themselves the, they call themselves the Spartans. The Spartans. The Spartans. These are the, the hardcore, um, hard-living sort of combat troops of Brexit, I think, if you were to extend that analogy a little further. Um, and and they are, they've been very tied with the, with the DUP. So it's, it's hard. It, so if the DUP could be convinced, maybe those Spartans would go along with them. But, but I still think there's a long way to go here, John. Yeah. And, and Boris Johnson, I, I, he, he is better positioned going into this than Theresa May was. But, but can he get it over the line? Pounds come a long way. Does it have further to go? This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area. FTSE 100 down by 43 points at the close today, six tenths of 1%. The pound, though, through 128. Uh, so we have seen a sterling rise. The two are reasonably antagonistic. The FTSE 250 up by two tenths of 1%. Alison McCaig joining us now from Fern Wealth to give us his take on what is happening here. Al, one of the big questions that everybody's trying to figure out is, do UK stocks look cheap? I know on a multiple basis they look good. Do you think if you get a Brexit deal that we get a significant pop? Uh, evening, Guy. Uh, when we, We've been looking at the UK markets for a while now and very much asking ourselves that question. Uh, we, we've been steering clear of the top tier FTSE 100 and looking uh, a little bit below the 250 350 region. Um, yeah, there's a lot of value to be had there, comparatively speaking, about in, uh, to, to many markets out there. And, uh, and then this does feel uh, like we are getting close to some sort of progress being made. Even if this doesn't get signed, sealed and delivered before the weekend, as it were, um, it does feel like we've at least taken decent steps in the right direction. And any um, you know, extension of this timeline is, is all that would be required in order to get something agreed. Al, Guy and I were talking about the levels of cable and Guy made a really good point that perhaps on this occasion it's very difficult to price out no deal and start pricing in a hard Brexit and do those things as if they were almost separate. And I think at times gone by looking at cable at around one thirty, typically it just meant status quo, model along. And to Guy's point, this just feels different. There's no muddle through anymore. There's a binary outcome on the horizon here. Either it is hard Brexit or it's a deal over the withdrawal agreement. How are you thinking about that at the moment? I guess I'm, I, you know, of, of all the messages we've got out of the House of Commons over the time period, 
a hard Brexit has been the one thing where they've all been, or there's been a, a consensus, let me rephrase, uh, that they want to stay clear of. Without some sort of a deal, the majority of people have been unhappy about that. Politicians have been unhappy about that. I still, if you look at the FX market, it's pricing in that we're going to avoid a hard Brexit with no deal in place. I think that's still the way the markets are looking. If, if we genuinely thought it was much more likely, I don't think you'd see cable as high as, as these levels. Do you think if we don't get a deal this weekend, though? So, so the scenario, to my mind, looks like this. If we don't get a deal this weekend, we are heading for a general election. I, almost if we do get a deal this weekend, we're probably heading for a general direction, but that's a different scenario. But let's say so, so we don't get a deal this weekend. Boris theoretically has got to ask for an extension. And then we head for a general election. The polls suggest that he's likely to win that. And as a result of which, we'll be in a much stronger position. So he either doesn't ask for an extension and we end up with a hard Brexit, or he does ask for an extension and we end up with a general election that puts him in a strong position to deliver a reasonably hard Brexit. Does an extension really change the dynamic of this situation? I, I struggle to see how it does. I still think a hard Brexit is still a possibility in that situation. It's still a possibility. I still go down the road of thinking it's it's less it's less likely. I, I think you know he he will. You know I've I've seen a lot of tweets and a lot of press coverage about this over the course of the day. And it'd be fair to say there's a lot of contradictory commentary coming out, and there's limited hard facts coming out. But it does appear that a request for an extension would be put in play if they couldn't get uh, an agreement put you know sorted out in time. Yes, I think the polls are pretty clear that Boris Johnson is the, the favourite, but I would also say that the polls are quite likely to be very misleading between now and whenever that general election materialises. And I think we will see one, regardless of what scenario pans out before the end of 2020. Alice McKay and Fern Wealth, alongside Guy Johnson and myself, Jonathan Farrow. The conversation will continue, also waiting for the President of the United States to join Sergio Mattarella, the Italian president, in a news conference in the East Room of the White House. Expecting that news conference any moment from now. We'll bring that to you very shortly on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAP Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow as we await the President of the United States, a joint news conference with the Italian President Sergio Mattarella in the East Room of the White House. That is set to take place very shortly and Guy... I've got to say, a lot of domestic interest, of course, in the impeachment inquiry. But for me, I want to hear some questions about trade. Are we still negotiating phase one? And what are the latest moves in Congress as they pursue support of the protesters in Hong Kong? What does that mean for this trade dispute? Yeah, I think that's definitely part and parcel of uh, what everybody is anticipating. Also, Turkey, I would have thought, in the mix as well. Uh, it does look as if we are going to see Congress pushing for harder sanctions there. Um, I've also just got something else I'd like to throw into the mix. The rumour is that Mattarella's job is is the one that Draghi wants. So how good are these press conference conferences going to be when it's Draghi up there delivering the story for Italy rather than Mattarella. Now, I'm, I like Mr. Mattarella, the President Mattarella. He, he comes across very well, and he's had a very tough job. 
But when this is Draghi, I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating. But back to today, I think trade uh, is going to be the main story. I think the Hong Kong story is, is fascinating. Clearly, the Chinese uh, have taken a great deal of umbrage to that. It was interesting as well. Uh, the president clearly watched the Democratic debate last night. He was talking earlier on about the fact that uh, some of those uh, on the on the stand had been uh, saying some reasonably sensible things as well, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. That was mainly reference to, to what is happening with Syria. But yeah, I think this could be quite far ranging, John. Will it be market moving? What do you think? I've really got no idea. Uh, I mean, when it comes to these kind of things, Guy, how on earth can you make any assessment as to whether this is going to be market moving or not? The president from tweet to tweet, from comment to comment, I've got no idea what the press does will he ask. Need the, does he need the market to go it. higher? At this point, no, I think he's okay. Precisely. We're, in, we're in, yeah. within 1% of an all-time yep. high on the S&P yep. 500. If that is any guide for the President of the United States, we assume it might be. But if it is, I mean, we're near a record high. I don't think he, he, has, a, earlier on, he has a big need to get the market up. There was, there was a, a playback of some tape earlier on with, with Mattarella, um, uh, and he did talk about the fact that he thought the market would go higher today. Um, so clearly it's playing on his mind a little bit. So I just wonder whether that is part and parcel of the thinking coming into something like this, whether or not he feels he does need to give maybe risk assets a little bit of a boost. He's certainly done that in the past when his back's been against the wall. I'm just not sure it feels like that necessarily today. It's not that kind of day. I mean, we come back off the off the back of a pretty decent day of gains on the S&P 500. The retail sales print was a little concerning. Um, the previous month revised higher, but... Certainly a little shaky. Look, my view on things at the moment, I think we've got these two big macro overhangs. In fact, we have multiple. And they're so finely balanced. And people looking out to 2020 have such low conviction levels that even the smallest piece of incremental news can swing things one way to the other, which is why you can have a move of, say, 20 basis points on a 10-year treasury in just a week. And we've seen that in multiple weeks over the last couple of months. Things are just that delicate, that finely balanced guy. The the retail sales number, I think, was interesting. Um... So there is a theory that August number was boosted by people buying in advance of sanctions coming in. So I'm curious to get, to, 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 to get your take on this. Do you think people were aware enough in August to be buying in advance of sanctions? Do you think people were aware, sorry, tariffs that were going to be coming in? Do you think that is a plausible reason why August was so strong and therefore September is so weak? If you told me that businesses had done that, I would have been with you. If you said that was going to show up in the trade data, I would have agreed with you. But when it comes to retail and the yeah. consumer, I don't know how sensitive they are to the day-to-day headline flow about the potential for more tariffs in the future. I, I really don't. I mean, I can only talk from my own perspective. I wasn't thinking about getting ahead of the, the tariffs on consumer goods. I don't know anyone else that was thinking about getting ahead of the tariff on consumer goods. But when it comes to business, I mean, they are thinking about their supply chains and how much they need to import, whether they need to build inventory levels. We've seen that in the GDP figures again and again and again when it comes to these stories. Yeah, August was just so strong. And as as you say, it's been revised a little bit higher as well. Um, Al's still on the line, so let's get his take on what is happening here. Al, how sensitive do you think the market is to any cracks appearing in the consumer story? And do you think today's retail sales number was evidence of that? Um, I, I definitely go along, along the lines that Jonathan was mentioning there, which is, you know, I think the business community was sensitive to, uh, you know, tariffs being imposed and 
and undoubtedly they were lining their ducks up in anticipation of that happening. Um, the retail consumer, you know, I find it difficult to believe that too many would have been conscious of that, uh, and any differences would have been, uh, you know, minor blips, if at all. Um, I think as far as the, the investment community is concerned, yeah, they're, they're very, very conscious of what the retail uh, consumer is doing because it has been the power source of, of the, the, the U.S. economy, the European economy, uh, the U.K. as well. And if, if that starts to wobble, much like a lot of the economic data has been wobbling in Europe, then I think we're, we're going we're gonna to find the investment community, which has already been restructuring its, its sort of risk portfolios, becoming even more risk averse on the back of that. And we've got to let you go. Time's up. Alistair McKay, always great to catch up with you. We don't get to talk to him enough. Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth. Guy Johnson waiting for that news conference yep. with Sergio Mattarella and the uh, President of the United States. Interesting debates last night. I managed to get through an hour of them. They went for That's like two pretty or impressive. three hours. Yeah, and then I fell asleep. The, um, the quality of the debate, not at that level where people really start to probe one by one the situation with the policy that they're trying to move forward. We're still at this space There's where a lot of 12, noise. 12 candidates on a stage. You don't really get into specifics. bit of back and forth. They identify who they think the front runner is and go after them for a little bit. And that was Warren last night, wasn't it? It was Warren last night. I think what we did learn, and I think this is possibly important for the race anyway, there was a belief and a story that was told for the last, I don't know, month or so, that there's an easy path for Warren. That Senator Warren takes the votes from Senator Sanders and then just takes down Biden, and we're on for a Warren versus Trump match at the end of this year. And I think what we found out in the last 24 hours is that despite a heart attack, Bernie Sanders is going to stick around. And he's got AOC's backing coming yeah, as well. I don't think he's going to make it as easy as perhaps Senator Warren wanted it to be. A little bit more on that a little bit later, right here on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, you're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area and around the world on all of your Bloomberg devices. Uh, over in the United States, the S&P 500 is currently trading at 2991. Uh, we're down by just four points or le- uh, just more than one-tenth of one percent. Volume a little light down by around uh, 10% on the volume front. Uh, We are waiting for a press conference. The President of the United States and Italy about to deliver that. John says it's in the East Room. I can see uh, plenty of journalists assembled, but no presidents yet. As soon as that happens, we will bring it to you. In the meantime, let's get some headlines with Charlie Pellet. Thank you very much. And here's what's going on. We do have President Trump dismissing concerns that the American withdrawal from Syria has left American-allied Kurds abandoned against the Turkish military and that Russia has moved into the region to fill the void. In a surprise move this morning, U.S. economic data retail sales dropped three-tenths of one percent in September, first decline in seven months. The news does not bode well for the holiday shopping season in the U.S. The weakness was broad-based. Seven of 13 retail categories posted declines last month. General Motors and the United Auto Workers Union reaching a tentative agreement today on a new contract. The union will decide tomorrow whether to continue a more than month-long strike while the deal is voted on by members. Earnings, lots of them, specifically financials. Bank of America posting the biggest jump in investment banking fees on Wall Street, helping profit overcome headwinds from lower interest rates. Shares of Bank of America, by the way, up for a sixth day. They're up now by roughly 2%. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you now. 
now here in New York. Charlie Pellet, thank you very much, sir. Pleased to say that joining us in the studio is Cameron Christ, Bloomberg's very own, as we await this news conference, the joint news conference with the President of the United States, Donald Trump, and the Italian President, Sergio Mattarella, in the East Room of the White House. The room is full of journalists waiting to ask very interesting questions, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure the President will see it that way. Uh, we'll see the two of them very shortly, and we'll bring you some highlights of that news conference in a little bit. Cameron, let's talk about those Democratic presidential debates last night, shall we? Your thoughts, two, three hours. I got through about 60 minutes, 12 of them on stage. It was beat up Senator Warren Day, wasn't it? Well, I'm going to make an admission here. I didn't watch it because, to me, it's still way too early in the process. I mean, it's the equivalent of watching, like, uh, a football team's under-17s. Uh, you know, maybe one or two of them will make it. There aren't many uh, under-17s on that stage. In fact, well, quite the, opposite. Yeah. <laughs> the analogy only goes so far. Or it's like but, pre- you know, maybe one or two of them make it, but most pre- of them are going to get it's, cast it's by the, the wayside. Vets. You are watching the vets here, pre-season, not the under-17s. And the veterans turned up for pre-season yeah. a little bit early. The point being that most of them are going to be irrelevant in, 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 in a few months, right? So do I really care what so-and-so has to say? Not necessarily. Starting to find out their policy positions on a range of things, though. When you hear them talk about trade, I've got to say, look, obviously everyone's really keen to beat up the president and his dispute with China. But ultimately, when you listen to them, they're on the same page well, on a number the, of issues. Some of the front runners, yeah. Certainly Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are uh, left of the president or uh, more extreme than the president in terms of, uh, you know, anti-globalist uh, America. I mean, we can't use America first for them, I suppose. But uh, protectionist—they've uh, got the, the old, the old classic left-wing protectionist. Instincts. Beating up on big business. I mean, I, I'm waiting for the, the multinationals to try and come out and say something to remind us that 25% of the jobs in America come from large multinational companies. I think 90% of the private research spend comes from multinational companies. And last time I checked, nobody I've ever met. Is is begging to spend more on their uh, on their consumption basket, which is what is ultimately a protectionist uh, policy umbrella would provide. Uh, it would be a real income, a negative real income shock because the price of stuff would go up. Do you think Biden looks weak at this point? I think he's toast, man. I think he's toast. Why? Um, a, a few reasons. Obviously, he's got the the whole familial um, corruption angle, which uh, who knows who knows what the truth really is. But in this, you know, in this sort of uh, setup for next year, you can't really be tarred with the same brush. You don't want to be tarred with the same brush as the president. But even before all that stuff happened, listen, the guy's seventy eight years old. I think uh, his performances have been very unenergetic. He is the preferred candidate of of the sort of centrist globalists. Uh, and listen, uh, you don't need me to tell you that that sort of sphere, um, the establishment, quote unquote, the elitist sphere is on the outs with with sort of the, uh, um, you know, the marginal uh, Democratic voter. People people want we've swung to the left and, yeah. and Biden is a centrist away from the energy aspect of it. There's just no real message coming from the vice president. Well, the message is, hey, I was vice president when Obama was president. There's no policy message whatsoever. What's intriguing, I think, is that in the midterms in 2018, the areas of success that the Democrats had were just being a centrist party. 
actually being a centrist party. And what's intriguing is that as they try to win the nomination, they're getting dragged increasingly to the left to win over their party. But when they go to the electorate, I just wonder how much work they've got to do to come back to the middle to actually win an election. The way they're going, Trump is going to win re-election because they're going to alienate a lot of people. I mean, Biden is basically at this point a pillowcase full of of feathers. But uh, for people, say, like myself, he would be a more attractive candidate than someone like Warren or Sanders. Well, what was interesting about Man Buttigieg is actually he he made this – it made this almost like a speech at the beginning of the debates. They weren't allowed the opening remarks because there were so many of them on stage. But on stage, but I think Buttigieg just took the opportunity to do it anyway. And he said, "You've got to think about the day after the Trump presidency, whether it ends in five years or whether it ends in twelve months. That we've got a divisive country, and how do you unite that country? And do you want to isolate them by doing the kinds of things that Senator Warren wants to do, which is?" take away your private insurance on day one. Of course, unachievable, but ultimately that's the goal. His message quite clearly, you should be trying to unify the country. It's a very pragmatic message coming from, I think, a really smart guy. But guess what? It's not doing well in the polls. That's not the message that resonates right now with this party. Yeah, uh, that's true. I mean, I think it's probably also fair to say that, I mean, He's, what, 37, 38? He's been the mayor of a mid-sized college town. I mean, he's not bringing a whole lot of heavyweight credentials to uh, to the table. Okay. Um, what happens if we get – at what point does the market start getting ready for another four years of Trump, and what does that mean? It, I still think it's too early to say, um, to be honest with you. Um, we – I mean, at this point last – in the last electoral cycle, Trump was polling at like 1%. Right. So um, there is no guarantee that the current front runner on the Democratic side is going to be the eventual nominee. Do you think he, was, he or her was on stage last night? I think probably. Okay. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't guarantee it. Uh, and and le- we don't know where this whole impeachment thing is going to yeah, go. No, either, right. There's really no important. guarantee. You know, I would not. I mean, it's a 98 yeah. percent probability, but it's not 100 percent probability but that Trump is a Republican. I, I think this is important, not just for the presidential race. I think this is really important for the complexion of Congress. If Senator Warren becomes the president of the United States, what ultimately matters is what will the backlash look like in Congress uh, around some of these key issues. And I think many people can worry to, you know, as much as they want about what Senator Warren might bring to the table if you're a multinational, if you're an individual in this market. At the end of the day, if she hasn't got Congress, nothing's getting done, really. I mean, you can do all the trade stuff. The president's doing that already. But to unwind the tax cuts, which is the thing a lot of people would worry about, you need Congress to come with you. Well, not just unwinding the existing tax cuts, but impose, and we can talk about it more, I guess, imposing more yeah. new taxes. From New York City and London, you are listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area as we await uh, Presidents Trump and Mattarella. Let's talk a little bit about what is happening closer to home here in London, and that's the Brexit story. Uh, We are down to the wire on whether or not we get a deal. We are told the deal needs to be done tonight if it is to be taken uh, to the council meeting that takes place in Brussels over the next couple of days. Uh, There are very mixed messages coming out. Uh, We don't know yet 
whether it's all going to happen. Cameron Cries is still with us to give us his take on all of this. Cameron, Sterling's rallied pretty aggressively over the last couple of days. Where do you think positioning is? We were talking about this a little earlier on in the programme. Do you think shorts are still in place? Do you think we're, we're at neutral? Where do you think neutral would kind of correlate to in terms of the Sterling rate cable? I mean, I, it's difficult to say because you have to look on different time horizons. I think longer-term investors are still short, uh, but the more tactical, quick-twitch um, spot jockey types are are leaning long, particularly in the options market. Um, and you can you can sort of observe that in what's, the what's a spot jockey type? Mine, your show. Day trader. Yeah, uh, you know, someone with an FX spot trading background. I've never, I've never heard of that. Really? Actually, no, actually, you've well, never come across that phrase. Well, no, you learn something new every I, day. I really like that. Um, anyhow, if you look at the short-term skew in the option market, uh, for much of the last month or two, um, in the short run, it's been skewed to calls because people thought that there was a chance that we would get uh, a positive um, news flow, which would squeeze spot higher. And so that turned out to be, um, you know, the risk was perceived risk was asymmetric. Uh, but now that skew is flipped back towards puts, which suggests that people maybe are leaning a little long. Uh, certainly anyone who, who was owning calls has seen their, um, the economic value of that position go up. Uh, and the risk is perhaps skewed back a little bit more asymmetrically towards, towards disappointment. I think kind of 120 to 132 is a reasonable proxy to capture sort of 80% of the price action. And the closer you get to 132, kind of by definition, without a concrete agreement that's been ratified by parliament uh, or passed by parliament, um, the, 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 the higher you go, the more asymmetric the risk becomes to the downside. There's got to be a wall of money itching to get long on any kind of resolution here. Well, the problem is, is that you're going to gap kind of immediately and the upside, I mean, what's your upside? I don't know. I mean, I mean, because let's me. not forget, a deal in an agreement, all that really does is sustain the status quo for a couple of years while the real negotiations begin. Well, this is something a lot of people forget. Uh, and I know I mean, people not, think this is the not, end of Brexit. Not so much in the UK, but certainly outside of the UK, there is a belief that this is it. That this is not just the withdrawal of agreement, but I mean, establishing the relationship. I mean, to quote Churchill, this is all this. This is the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end. Uh, and people tend to tend to forget that. Um, but it but it is important in as much as it sets the tone. So if if we end up with an aggressive, acrimonious, hard Brexit, the next bit becomes I, the next bit is a, a sort of a, a a multiple of that. If you end up with a deal that provides a platform for that process to start and start relatively more easily. So I think the, the, the tone set by the deal is important in as much as it, it does fire the starting gun on the second portion, but where you are starting from is kind of really important in that process. If we end up with no deal and it's really bad blood, then that next bit is going to be so, so hard. You end up with a deal that is close to a hard deal, but it's still a deal. That process starts on a lot more, it starts on a lot better footing. So do you think if, if, it, if there's a deal that the government... Uh, and more importantly, the next government, assuming that it's still a Tory-led yep. government, which seems like the kind of the base case at the moment. Do you think they'll be going tiptoeing arm in arm through the tulips? No, um, no, I'm not suggesting that at all. But at least it provides a basis to start work, and there is some goodwill on a, on either side that a deal has at least been done. I'm not. I'm not in any way suggesting that. I'm just saying that it is. It is the. It is an easiest. 
is an easier point to start from, and then therefore, oh yeah, the, I mean, the, kind the, of the, kind the, of by definition, the, but, yeah, but easier does not mean easy. No, but the cogs are at least moving in the right direction, and probably a, a, a little bit more well oiled. So that process is going to start uh, on a be- on, from a better starting point. As a result of which, it's probably going to get done a little bit more quickly and possibly with a better outcome. Karen's going to stick around. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow. A news conference is coming up between the President of the United States and the Italian President in the East Room of the White House. The room is full. It has been for about 40 minutes. They're running behind. We're waiting for that to begin. Over the next couple of days, some things to watch. After the closing bell in the United States today, look out for Netflix. Look out for subscriber numbers and look out for the guidance because this quarter is the quarter where we start to get some competition with the likes of Disney, Disney Plus and Apple on the horizon. What will that mean for Netflix subs? Look out for those numbers a little bit later today. Actually, really, really interesting stuff. Tomorrow on the data front, U.S. industrial production and housing starts. Look out for public comments from regional Fed presidents Charles Evans and Williams as well. Tomorrow night, Chinese industrial production figures and GDP as well. And on Friday, I think we get Vice Chair Clarida speaking as well, Guy. But Netflix for me is actually pretty interesting after the closing bow today. Those subs in the previous quarter really weren't impressive. And this is coming at a time where the competition hasn't even really started yet. And the offering that comes from the likes of Disney, the likes from Apple, that's ramping up. And a lot more people, a lot more media houses, production houses are reclaiming their content off the Netflix platform. Which means they're going to have to spend a lot more money. By the way, two-minute warning, I think, on the press conference. Um, Which means they're going to have to spend a lot more money on new and original content. And I think this is a company that has the ability to burn cash uh, and burn it pretty aggressively. Uh, and as a result of which, it, it's going to be um, the middle of the P&L that's, that's really going to feel this one. Um, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this story ultimately evolves, John. I, Netflix make it really easy to turn off and on your product. So how does, how does un, unlike a cable subscriber, subscription company, and I think others are going to do that in the same way. How how sticky is this whole process going to be as well? I think it's going to be really interesting. Are people going to turn Netflix on for a couple of months when there's a series that they want and then turn it off? Um, at the moment, I suspect most people probably don't do that. But I think as more competition comes in, they're going, to, they're going to do that. So I think it's going to be really hard to gauge exactly what is happening. But my takeaway is it's going to cost them a whole lot more oh. money to produce the kind of content that they need to do the to keep eyeballs. It's a whole lot more money as well. On my TV at home right now, I don't have cable, so I cut the cord, so to speak. I have Hulu, I have Amazon Prime, I have Netflix on there as well. We've tried to get rid of cable, Cameron, and just created it in another form. Yeah, uh, it's basically, we've got unbundled cable now, haven't we? Yeah. <clears throat> the thing with any of these sort of... Um, trends where you've got an explosion of providers is, yeah, you can say so-and-so will win, so-and-so will lose. But I think of it as a gold rush, right? Everyone's piling in. And the the only people you know are going to make money are the people who sell the picks and shovels. And in this case, it's who controls the interface by which you access all this stuff. So how do you access it? 
through a Roku or through a yeah, Google. Yeah, so this is why Roku shares have been doing so well. Yeah, exa- exactly. Be the you know, take advantage of the guy that sells the picks and shovels. Not put, don't put yeah, your Roku has done well. Yeah, I don't think, don't put your I money necessarily my behind platform. Form, essentially, you know. is just a Samsung platform that enables these apps to to go onto it. I think that's what it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not convinced that the Roku model is is one that's going to be sustainable over a, over a long period. But certainly in the short term, it seems to be generating quite a lot of buzz. But but the the difference I think between this and a and a kind of bundled TV package is is this turning off and turning on. I think it's going to be amazing that you're going to find yourself in a situation where you could say Disney has got something I want for a couple of months, or there's a new Star Wars movie out, or whatever it is. Mike Pence just walking into the room. By the way, I think we're nearly there. Um, and unlike the kind of bundle package, you're going to be able to go, I'm going to turn this on for a couple of months, then I'm going to turn that on for a couple of months, I'm going to turn that off. My question is, do you think consumers will be that savvy? I suspect they will. I think they won't. I think um, they're going to be operating under the um, gym membership business model, which is... Ah, oh, but gym membership's quite hard to turn off. Perhaps so. Perhaps so. But if you've got five or six of these services that you're trying to rotate, yep. it becomes a little difficult to track. Uh, you know, who's got what on. Guys, you've got to leave it there.